0: Welcome to the Redeemer podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, Acts, Romans, letters to the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then First and Second Thessalonians, if you're in that area, or if you don't have a Bible, there might be one laying around you, or you can go to ESV.org on your device, and you can find Colossians 3 there. Well, we continue on continue on in our series on the five solas of the Reformation, and these kind of are the five rally cries, kind of resolutions, and kind of 180s uh, that were happening in the church. In the time of the 1500s were almost, almost 500 years now from when the Reformation occurred. And really, the last, the last two, this Sunday and the next, the other three have all kind of been heading towards this direction. And, and last week, uh, a sister asked me after the first service, you know, it's always the first service. You know, whenever something's going, gone, it's always the first service. And she had a great question, though, a- after the sermon. And she said, okay, so how can there be five onlys? You have scripture alone. How can you have five alones? You have grace alone, faith alone, because I'm confused. I was like, man, what a great question. For, for how, okay, so here's, here's how this works. These five solas, these five alone statements, they're kind of a different prescription for different sicknesses that were happening in the Catholic Church at the time. So the Catholic Church back then had developed and still have a lot of these still a lot of cancers in the church, and each of these solas were a different treatment to try to untangle the mess that had become. So scripture alone. Scripture alone was meant to untangle and kind of cut the head off of the overreaching authority and thuggery of popes and priests, And that ebbs into the other four. So once Scripture alone is seen as the authority in the church and our our guide for life and our Christian faith and practice, what do the Scriptures say for how we're saved? That's the logical step. So the Catholic Church taught works and you could pay for money and have indulgences and all these other things, what do the Scriptures say? Grace alone. We're saved by grace. So grace alone dismantled the idea that salvation could be earned. So if logically, okay, well, if salvation can't be earned, how do we get it then? Faith alone. Faith alone restored the reality that since we can't earn salvation or work for salvation, we don't deserve it. How do we get it? By faith. So you see the logic. Well, faith in who? Faith in what? The church? The pope? A prayer? A religious ceremony? A certificate? No. The scriptures teach we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And Christ alone is a call to a radiant Christ-centered life. So we must resolve and see that Christ alone is not just for our salvation, but also Christ alone for the rest of our Christian life. That Jesus is the centripetal Christian force in the Christian life. He is the only Savior, and He is the only mediator between God and men. And he is our only advocate right now between us and the Father. That salvation from our sins in the daily Christian life still depends on Christ alone. And Paul shows us in Colossians 3 how this works. So let's begin reading in verse 1. And since these words come to us today in the very authority of King Jesus, let's stand in the honor of the reading of his word as we hear from him. And the Spirit says, beginning in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another and all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus.'" giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. Help us, Lord, even now to not be distracted on things of earth, to not even be distracted of things in our life that are overwhelming us, but help us to look to the rock, to see our feet on the rock, to see us seated with him in the heavenly places. So help us, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's no surprise that Christians today are facing increasing challenges. It's gonna be, in the past 50 years, it's become more challenging and more difficult to live as a believer. And in 50 more years, It's going to be even more difficult. I think the next 10 years are going to be even more difficult in our culture to really live all, all of our beliefs out to the max. But even though we face these challenges, in our day, we must continue to affirm that yes, Jesus and Jesus only, that Jesus alone, faith in Jesus' cross, his death, His resurrection is the only way to be saved. Jesus says in John 14, uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way. So you notice these definite articles, the, the, the. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 4.12, the apostles, Peter and John, tell the crowds, and there is salvation and no one else well, what about no one else? For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of his apostles, and the testimony of his people today must remain the same, no matter what the culture threatens us with. I mean, this culture, at Peter and John in Acts 4, they are told, stop saying that. You're at your work and that your boss tells you, which has happened to me before, not at this job, but at a previous job, has told you, you need to stop telling people about this Jesus stuff. You can't do that here on the floor. Okay? Now, what I was talking about. You can read in Acts 4. They tell them, stop talking. And they go, look, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to God, you be the judge. But we will not stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. So we must be the people who say, we will not stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Paul takes it even further in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God. So what this verse does is kind of cut the legs out from anyone saying, well, yeah, Jesus is the way for Christians. Jesus is the way in Christianity. But other religions have their own way and they're all viable, they're all fine, they all you know, kind of go to the same place. The Bible says, no, there's one God. There are no other gods. There are no other paths. God has no other name. This is it. There is one God, and there is one mediator, one conduit, one advocate, one who brings us to God between God and men, and it's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. And since that's true, Jesus says in Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins, the hope of the gospel should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, so this message of Christ alone, this is not a message of superiority. Oh, we're, we're the right religion, everyone else is dumb, all those losers. That's not the message of Christ alone. Never. The message of Christ alone is a message of urgency, a message of grace, that repentance since John 14:6 is true, since Acts 4:12 is true, and since 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 is true, Luke 24 better be true of us that we are making his name known. If we, don't really, if we don't believe Luke 24, if we don't do Luke 24, we are giving a great disservice to John 14, to Acts 4, and to 1 Timothy 2. His name alone should be proclaimed, that God has provided the way to be saved, that God has put his son on the cross, and he has died for sinners. And if you will only believe in him, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you can be saved. If you believe, if you trust, rely, totally depend on him, you shall be saved. Save the Lord Jesus, return today. We hear a trumpet in the parking lot. Now we remember, well, we didn't have our trombone player today, so something else is going on. Clouds peel back like a scroll. The Lord descends, the dead are raised, and judgment day is going down and you stand before Jesus of Nazareth, and he says to you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Well, I went to church. I mean, I was here today. You know that. I was a good person. I read the Bible. I followed your teachings. Uh, I I tried to honor you. No. None of those will satisfy. The only satisfaction factory answer will be, why should I let you in? It would be you. You are the only reason why I should be let in, Jesus. I'm only allowed in because of you and your grace, because you're the one who paid for my sins. You're the one who died in my place. You're the one who rose again for me. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You and you only, Lord, is why I should be let in. And you'll say, well done. Enter into your master's joy. We must hold out this message to the world too. Because it will become increasingly difficult. You will feel pressure. You will feel constraints. People will get more bold to oppose Christianity in the public square. More in your workplaces. More in your family. This will not hurt you. This will not hurt the gospel. It will make it shine even brighter. And I think we'll see even more people get saved, not less. So the question right now is for you, is will you maintain Christ alone in the days ahead? And there's another element of Christ alone we must consider. We've been talking about Christ alone for salvation, which we must maintain. But we also must remember that it's Christ alone for our sanctification. I think another urgent need in the American church, especially in the Bible Belt, that how we grow, how we mature, and our hope and security and our sanity and our lives, our ultimate source is Christ alone. When Jesus says in John 15, abide in me. So the directive for your whole Christian life now is this, abide in Jesus. He says abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches and whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a life-altering verse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't have a life verse, you've been thinking about one, there's one for you. Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. How am I going to love my wife as Christ loves the church? Christ alone. How am I going to train my kids and bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Christ alone. How am I going to honor the Lord at, your, at, at the work this week? Christ alone. John 15, 5. We must abide with Christ, see our connection to Christ. We can only bear fruit, mature, and develop as we abide with Jesus. So I think this message of Christ alone has three kind of elements to it. And the first one is our personal confidence, daily power in the Christian life, our everlasting hope is Christ alone. Our communal confidence, how our church will have power and hope and unity and growth and maturity, is Christ alone. Our missional confidence, how we evangelize, our power, our message, our hope for the lost, Christ alone. Like the Reformation, they affirm that Jesus was the only way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we must remember that Jesus is the nuclear power of daily Christian living. And Paul makes this plain in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. What we see is that Jesus defines our lives, that he is the Christian's life. Jesus defines our lives. He is the Christian's life. When we read the passage this morning, did you hear these four really amazing, Christ orienting, Christ centering, Jesus magnifying, Jesus exalting phrases that are to be true in our lives? Four of them. They were huge. Verse three, for you have died, and here it is, and your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So right now, if you're a Christian, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, when Christ who is your life, Jesus has a lot of titles, right? Jesus, son of God, Jesus, son of man. Christ the Messiah wonderful counselor almighty god prince of peace all, all these titles of, about Jesus the grace of god another title for Jesus Jesus Christ who is your life verse 11 the last phrase there Christ is all verse 17 and whatever you do i mean this is a massive verse Whatever you do in life, everything, even right now, what you're going to do this afternoon, all of it. What does Paul say is to be the aim, trajectory, foundation, and purpose of it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. A Christ-centering of our lives. To be a Christian is to get more than a hell-free eternity. The Christian life is tethered to Christ. Your life right now is like those Russian dolls, those babushka dolls. You open it again, 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 there's this little tiny one at the end. That's you (laughs) in Christ. My daughter has real ones, like they're not from TJ Maxx. These are like the real. From Russia, you open it up, it's amazing. There's so many of them. It keeps going and going and going and going and going. And there's this little tiny one protected by all these other layers, protected by that big one. This is the way the psalmist speaks. You have hidden me in your temple, protected me from my foes and adversaries. When wars wage against me, I am hidden in the shelter of your wings. Your life is hidden With Christ in God. You have been babushka dolled into Christ. And now your whole life is steered for for his name and for his fame. If my life is hidden with Christ in God, Christ is my life and Christ is all. And now, of course, we do everything for the name of the Lord Jesus. And more specifically, Paul entangles these. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So that must mean you have died with Christ. He says it in 2.20, if with Christ you died, verse 3.1, you have been raised with Christ. So already the Christian life, your life right now, our lives, this second, have a time stamp on them all the way back to the first century. Died with Christ, raised with Christ. This is abiding with Christ, connected with Christ, nested in Christ. What happened to him? I was there. I died with him. When he up from the grave he arose, up from the grave I rose too. I was there with him. Christianity, it's a religion of coattails. And we are riding the coattails of a Galilean carpenter all the way into eternity. I mean, look at what Paul does here with the message Christ alone. He provides this new sense of priority. Look what happens. If you've been raised with Christ, verse 1, what? Seek the things that are above Where Christ is. That's why it matters. Because Christ is there. Seated at the right hand of God. (laughs) So Christ alone gives a new priority to life. Seek the things above. We are now the people who can look past the trinkets of earth. We are now the people who realize life on earth is not bundled up in in one's possessions. That you don't find significance whether you're single or married. You don't find significance whether or not you've had the house you've always dreamed of. Your life doesn't always matter and find its purpose and value based on how many kids you have. We are now the people who realize that there's more to what this earth has to offer. We know, now we know that nothing we can buy, and we need to know this because we are wealthy people. Everyone in this room is wealthy. World standards, we're all successful, we're all wealthy. But will we be the people that know that nothing we can buy, nothing we can experience, nothing we can feel, nothing we can eat, nothing we can drink, nothing we can smoke, nothing we can inject can compare with the eternal weight of glory that is coming for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So consider the magnitude of that phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ. You, right now, you're sitting here in Tomball, Texas, but you are hidden with Christ. So wherever Jesus is, you're there. Wherever he goes, there you are with him, nested into him. So where is the Lord right now? What did Paul say? Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. So Christ is in these heavenly places, so where are you? Ephesians 2.6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're sitting with him right now. I know you're sitting here, but it takes faith. See, yes, my life is hidden with Christ. I'm sitting already in the heavenly places. Where he goes, I go. And so already you can see how stable and secure your life is, your entire life now. Because wherever Jesus is, there you are. Whatever's happening to Jesus is happening to you. The only, so here's what this means. The only way your life can truly unravel and fall apart and your eternity be compromised is if Jesus unravels. And if Jesus is compromised, and that's never going to happen. However secure Jesus is, that's how secure you are. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what's your confidence? That things would work out for you? Or that your life is hidden with Christ in God? Where's your joy? That you'd finally get your way and get what you've wanted? Or that your life is hidden with Christ in God? And Paul takes it a step further. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So what was hidden, the fact that we're hidden with Christ and God, that's, that's even hidden to us. We don't really see it. We believe it sometimes. But now Paul says, when he appears, what was hidden will be made plain. It's hidden that you're sitting in the heavenly places. I, I, I bet no one drove to church today thinking, oh, I'm sitting in the heavenly places, even though I'm sitting in my car. You are. And it will be made plain. When he appears, you will appear with him in glory. But let's think about the phrase, Christ who is your life. Do you ever think about Jesus this way? Christ who is my life? I cannot think of a more Christ centering phrase than Christ your life. Is he your life? Or is he a hobby? A side thing. And when we know phrases like this, this isn't just like, "Oh, that's just a Bible phrase." No, we know we know stuff like this. Oh, uh, my kids, you know, they're just my life right now. Uh, my work—it's really busy, and it's just—it's just, just my life right now. I—I I live at my work, or I live at the gym. All right, so we we know phrases like this. Is Christ your life? Paul says something similar like this in Philippians when he says, "To live is Christ." For me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. But now he looks, that was, he was talking about himself. Now he looks at every one of us, every Christian, and says, Christ is your life. Whether you feel it or not, whether you perceive this or not, Christ is your life. Will you live it? Will you walk in it? Because here's how this Christ aloneness applies to you. If you're going to, like, catch anything today, this is it. I think this this thinking, this understanding, this feeling, this seeing and savoring will begin to change your life and, and your joy. If Christ is our life, this means His life is now your life. His account, your account. His righteousness, your righteousness. His victory, your victory. His accomplishments, yours. His reward, yours. His standing, yours. His inheritance is yours. His failures, none. So we have all the benefits of the life of Christ, and there are no cons. We have all of the pros of the life of Christ, and now there are no cons with the life of Christ. Because Christ is your life. Whatever is His is now yours. The totality of the Christian life is Christ is all. I mean, you can think about your entire life as a Christian, and it's all Him. And it starts with, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Even before you had breathed, you had already been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are united to him in his death. We are raised with him in his resurrection. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. We abide with him daily, and we are waiting for him to return, and we will rise with him and reign with him and live with him forever in the new Jerusalem. Christ is all. What you've got to see is that Christianity is far more than teachings and principles to ascribe to. No, it is personal. It is a person centered on Jesus alone. It's our life in and with Jesus. I love when when John Calvin says, We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care to not look for any other portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation... We're taught it's in the very name of Jesus. If we seek any other gifts, they're found in him. If we seek strength, it lies with him. If purity in his conception, if gentleness at his birth. For by his birth, he was made like us in all respects, If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If we want acquittal, it lies in his condemnation. If we want remission of the curse, it's in his cross. If satisfaction, his sacrifice. If we want purification, it's in his blood. If we need reconciliation, it's with him. If we need mortification, the death of our flesh, it's in his tomb. If we need newness of life, it's in his resurrection. If we want to be immortal, it's in the same of his resurrection. If we want the heavenly kingdom, it's by his entrance in the heavenly kingdom. If we want protection, security, and abundant supply of blessings, it is all in his kingdom. Christ alone is our source, our power, our message, our motivation, and sanctification. When Christ alone is seen When you really do believe your life is hidden with Christ, and Christ is your life, you begin to shed the dead skin of sin. That's what's happening in verses 5 through 11. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, if you believe you've been raised with Christ, that you've died with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ, that Christ is your life, therefore put to death what is earthly in you. These things, this dead skin of sin begins to fall off because we're hidden with Christ. Christ is our life. So what's in our life now? There's no room for, verse 5, sexual immorality. Any sexual sin, Paul says, put it to death. Your life's hidden with Christ. This is not with Christ. Impurity, that's got to go. Passion, that's got to go. Evil desire, these things all go. Coveting. Out of control passions. And he continues in verse 8. Now you must put them all away. Anger. I got really angry this week. We were doing some remodeling on our house, and this, you know, we were buying some reclaimed wood, and there was miscommunication, and we get this wood, and it looks like brand new wood with just some stuff sprayed on it. And I look at this and go, well, I'm mad. I'm texting my wife going, I'm pretty mad. I can't even think I'm so mad because this guy, I feel like he's lying to us. It was miscommunication. ended up not lying to us. I'm furious. It's supposed to be reclaimed wood. This looks like brand new wood from Lowe's that he sprayed some stuff on. We got a problem. And I'm thinking, okay. And this verse is popping up. Put anger away because my life is hidden with Christ. Christ is my life. So these things, now I'm not controlled by anger anymore. I don't have to sit and stew in it and just let it run its course. No, my life is hidden with Christ in God. There is now a mechanism for these things to be dealt with because I have been raised with Christ. And now I can see these sins in my life that they are too left in the grave where Jesus came out of. So Christ alone isn't just for salvation. Christ alone is for our sanctification. That we can experience resurrection lives today. That we raise to this newness of life. I mean, so what does it mean to abide with Jesus, as we talked about earlier? Colossians 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He just said we shouldn't walk in these sins. So how should we walk? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is what it means to abide with Jesus. He said in John 15:5, abide with me and you'll bear fruit. Like what he says here. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Christ alone is for your life today and tomorrow. This is the daily Christian life because verse 11, look at what he says, here. Being in Christ, united to Christ, Christ is all. The entire life, Christ is all. The entire purpose, meaning, value, trajectory of your life, Christ is all. This is Christianity. This, these three words, Christ is all, this is the epicenter of the whole passage. It brings us all the way back to verse 1. We've been raised with him. and takes us all the way to verse 17. We do everything in his name because Christ is all." So if you're raised with Christ, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, if Christ is your life, He not only defines your life, He defines our lives together. And this is the second kind of point of the whole passage. Jesus defines our personal lives, but then Jesus defines our lives together. He defines the church. He is the church's life. Verses one through 11 are showing us how He's the Christian's life. And now verses 11 through 17 show us he is the church's life. Look at verse 11 again. Here, where is the here? It's the life in Christ. It's being united with Christ, being hidden with Christ. Christ is our life. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But what? Christ is all. Just like today, In the first century, racism was a horrific sin. People thought they were superior based on race and based on other categories, based on economics, based on social status, based on rank in the Roman society, based on religious tradition, based on intelligence. But Paul says, no, not here. In the world, sure, here, no way. We've been hidden with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Our life is hidden. Christ is our life. Here, none of those categories bring any superiority. There is zero superiority to being a Greek or a Jew in Christ. To being black or white. Being rich or poor. Being educated or uneducated. Being homeschooled or public schooled. Being Presbyterian or Baptist. Baptist being Reformed or Arminian. All categories for trying to one-up each other or make ourselves feel more superior by pushing others down, by bringing in a category. Paul is saying these have all been nuked by Jesus because now Christ is all. So when you look at another Christian, they are defined by Christ alone, not sins they did. Not sins they're warring with. The church should never be a place that if someone, you know, they, they commit adultery, but then they r- confess and they repent and their marriage is restored, that should never be a place for a where we always kind of remember, yeah, that was the, that was the marriage that they had the adultery. They're not defined by that. Oh, yeah, that was the guy who got drunk that one time. Oh, yeah, that was the guy who was drug addicted. We're not defined by these things anymore. Christ is all. And in all. So when we look out, I look at you, I look at you, I look at you, you're a Christian, you're defined by Christ. You're not defined by sins you did, sins that you're struggling with and warring against, or even the good works that you do. Because sometimes we define each other by good works. Oh, that's the guy who did that, or he, he does this for Jesus, or he's that. No, ultimately, Christ is all. So when a brother or sister confesses a sin, we don't recoil. We praise God. We praise God for confession and repentance, for putting off the old ways and putting on the new and telling each other, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Not that. And we have our men's group on Tuesday nights here, 7 p.m. We do three things. We study the Bible together, and then we have walking in the light time when we confess our sins and ask for prayer. We tell each other, no sin that gets confessed leaves this room. We're not here to betray betray each other's confidence. We're not here to gossip about each other. We're here to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. And then we have honor time. But in our confession time, I mean, this past week, there were some things confessed that were, um, were shocking in a good way. And it was shocking because I've never been in a room where things like that were confessed. It was always, uh, I'm not praying enough. You know, I stubbed my toe and said a cuss word this week. or You know, these kinds of things like, okay, let's get to real stuff. These were real, deep, and probably carried a tinge of shame to share these. But when they were brought out, we just all said, We love you. Let's pray for you. And praise God for Christ, who has forgiven you of all of your sins. And you're no longer defined by them. Because Christ is your life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is all. He is now the consuming quality of our lives. As Paul says in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if Christ is all, is he your significance? Is he your comfort? Do you find peace with Christ? Do you find security with Christ? Is he your standing? Is is he your message? Is he the message you preach to yourself? Is he your motivation? Is he your model? Is he your savior? We must remind one another Christ is your life, not your job. Christ is your life, not your money. Christ is your life, not your looks. Christ is your life, not your single or married status. Christ is your life, not your house, not your car, not how successful. Christ is your life, not your kids. Christ is all. I love what Spurgeon says. All that is real in the Christian, that's amazing. All that is real in the Christian, all that is holy, heavenly, pure, abiding, and saving is of the Lord Jesus. This great granite fact lies at the basis of the whole Christian system. Christ is really, truly, all in all in his church. In each individual member of it. So is Christ your all? Or a pleasure? Or yourself? Your business? Money? Politics? I mean, you go on and on and on. Your spiritual devotion? Your goodness? Your doctrine? Or is Christ your all? If Christ is your all, look at verse 12. Then what happens? Verse 12 happens. Put on then, So earlier in verse 5, he said, you've been raised raised with Christ, put these things to death. Now put these on. So this always happens. When our lives are centered on Christ, things get put off and things get put on. Well, what are these things that get put on? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's us. Put these on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. What are these? Where do these come from? They come from our life being in Christ. They're not coming out from us like, oh, you got to muster up kindness now. No, it's coming from Jesus. He's the source. He's all in all. So these are the life of Christ being played out in us. His compassion, his kindness, his humility. And since Christ is all, verse 13 happens, bearing with one another. The only way we can bear with one another is if Christ is all. If you are still all, you will not bear with anyone. If you are still all in your life, you will not be compassionate. You will not be kind. You will not be humble. You will not be meek. You will not be patient. The only way these things come about in our life is if Christ is all. When we bear with with one another, look what he says next. And if anyone has complaint against another, legit complaint, Like, I've got something against this person. They did this to me. I've got a complaint. What does Paul say to do? Vindicate yourself. No. Forgive one another. As God and Christ forgave you, so you must also forgive. Powered by Jesus. Modeled by Jesus. Christ alone changes our community. Jesus is not some abstract deity who's indifferent and he just kind of taught some nice principles like Buddha, who gives the Eightfold Path and Four Noble Truths, and he's just kind of this kind of force that's out there. No, Jesus is a real resurrected man from Galilee who changes our lives, and he defines how we live with one another. He defines how we love each other. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. His peace rules us, not my peace. Let your peace, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called into one body. So Jesus is the one who unites us. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we're to enjoy God's word and, and soak in God's word, marinate in God's word. Why? Not just to benefit ourselves. Americans are so bad at thinking that we should be reading our Bibles, checking our Bible reading plan so we can make sure we've read our Bibles. That's not why you should be reading the Bible all the time. That's not why you should be memorizing and meditating, just to get through it so you can learn stuff. And so, verse 16, you can let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can benefit your brothers and sisters in Christ. So you could admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When Christ is all, you read the Bible so you can benefit others. When you are all, you read the Bible just for yourself. In verse 17, and whatever you do Paul